I may be dating myself a little bit, uh, but I am firmly convinced that is the greatest rock song ever recorded. Uh, I'm actually more of a tower of power and earth, wind, and fire, horn, funk kind of a guy, but that song, something about that song, I just love. I've always loved it. Uh, And it's true that I uh, use every occasion possible to play it or to quote it. Uh, We played it a couple years ago at Easter. I uh, spent a lot of time and work and some money to get the copyrights to put it in my most recent book, uh, Present Perfect, and now we're playing it uh, this morning. But the fact that I will take every occasion possible to play this song does not mean this is not a central part of the message. It really has something to do with the message this morning. Because we're in the middle of a series, Undivided, and uh, it's, about, it's about finding congruity in our heart, harmony in our heart. Uh, Getting free of fragmentation and all the things that pull us in different directions to orientate our life around Christ and around the kingdom. And the truth is that there's very few things that fragment us, fragment us as much as time. The way we think about time and the way that we relate to time, it pulls us in different directions. This is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I have uh, shared before how... Uh, as, a, as a young boy, I just became obsessed with death. It always struck me that I, that is the most important fact of our existence. I was always blown away by the fact that, you, that, that adults don't seem to want to talk about it very much. I wanted to talk about it all the time. Uh, but we seem to avoid that topic. So I was always acutely aware of death. And that made me acutely aware of time, which leads to death. And so I have, all my life, thought a lot about time. It's, it just fascinates me. It's a very funky reality when you think about it. You can't conceive of time beginning, can you? A first moment, because you can always think of a moment before that one. But you can't conceive of it not having a first moment. Both are inconceivable. So time is inconceivable, and yet it's very real, obviously. Uh, We're aging by the second. It's a funky concept. Then you, you get into relativity theory, which I love. Uh, you know, when you experience an event depends on where you are relative to that event and how fast you're traveling relative to that event. It's just funky. Time slows down, it speeds up, and all this other kind of stuff. And then there's that fascinating topic that I love so much about whether or not the facts of our future are eternally settled or do we create those facts by our decision making. Interesting topic. And by the way, for those of you who are concerned about it, relativity theory does not negate that at all. Relativity theory has nothing to say about the future. It's about how we experience the present relative to the past. It has nothing to say about the ontological status of the future, in case you were worried about that one. But that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. We want to look at how time impacts our soul and how the way we think about time and relate to time uh, can fragment us. Uh, the, the impact it has in our hearts. Look at the way we talk about time. Listen to this. We say things like, can you give me a minute? I spent 
Three hours yesterday, raking leaves, and my back feels it. I wasted 45 minutes in line at Target. It took me two hours to fix the toilet. Uh, It cost me uh, a day's work because of that person's incompetence. I think I'll invest a lot of time in my kids. Uh, I saved some time uh, by buying a new app for my droid. I lost a lot of time because I forgot where my keys are. I'm running out of time. See, we use these, these metaphors of time as though time was a substance. And it's a substance that has a monetary value to it. It's like, it's, like, it's like money. It's like currency. We spend it. We save it. We invest it. We lose it. We waste it. And when we think about time as money, this monetary substance, it's not just the way we speak about it, but it reflects our, the way we conceive of it. And when we think about it that way, it can't help but stress us out. It can't help but fragment us. Think about it this way. There's three things we know about time if time is like money. Number one, we can't help but spend it. It's always running. The clock is always ticking. Uh, It's a nonstop thing. If you put a dollar to every second of your life, well, then every minute costs you $60. Every hour, $3,600. Every day, $84,600. And you can't stop it. You can't slow it down. You just are going to be spending it. It, 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 it's, it's, it's like a, a compulsive spender. Time is always flowing out of us. Secondly, we know that it comes to an end. There's a finite amount of it. Sorry if you didn't get the memo, but you're going to die. Time runs out. We're, we're like uh, you know, people who are spending on a bank account, but we don't know how much is there. We just know that some, at some point we're going to run out. How could that not stress us? It's a little bit like if you've ever been in that unfortunate situation where you have to buy something on a credit card and you're not sure you have enough to cover the purchase. And you're in line and your heart starts pounding. You stress out. If you don't have enough to cover the purchase, it gets very embarrassing. They get on the speaker and say, hey, this person doesn't have it on the credit card. you got to put the product back. Or maybe you really need the purchase. Maybe it was for groceries and, and that just adds to the stress. But our whole life is like that if we think about time as money. It's, it, it, it's, we can't help but spend it, but it's going to run out. But the third fact is this. We don't know when it's going to run out. And that only adds to the stress all the more. We're like an ATM machine, a broken ATM machine that just keeps spitting out money. We can't help it. It's just that, uh, you know, it, dollars come out one a second, and we're connected to some bank, and the bank account is finite, but we don't know how much is there. We just know that sooner or later it's going to run out, and when it runs out, it won't just be embarrassing, but we'll be dead. How can that not add stress to our life? One of the fun things about time is that not only can we, not, uh, can we help but spend it, and not only can we not slow it down, but we, it actually speeds up. The more money you've spent, I'm talking about time here, the more that ATM machine is spit out, the, more, the faster it tends to spit it out. The older you get, the faster time goes. I, 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 this last year I experienced as the way I used to experience, I think, a week when I was younger. It goes so incredibly fast. Uh, you know you're over 50 when you start mistaking events by years. <laughs> and so last week, I, I was talking uh, to somebody about uh, this, uh, my daughter moving into the city. I said, yeah, last year they moved into the city. And, and, uh, and Shelly goes, honey, that happened four years ago. And I was, no way. I remember loading up their truck yesterday. My back still hurts from it. How can that be four years ago? But, you know, it, it, everything starts to get crunched. The older you get. 
You begin to feel the truth, experience the truth that your life is like grass that withers and a flower that fades and the morning mist that evaporates and the more, uh, when the sun comes up. Shakespeare said it right when he said, we are all time subject and time bids us be gone. And the older you are, the faster it goes. Uh, when we relate to time like it was a monetary substance, a substance that we can put a, a, a dollar sign to, it can't help but be our enemy, an enemy that we have to fight or an opponent we have to race against. Every year is getting shorter, never seem to find the time. Plans that either come to naught or half a page of scribbled lines. And as an enemy that you can't beat and an opponent in a race that you can't win. So you're running to run to catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. Racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in the usual way, but you're older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. When you think about time as a substance with a monetary value to it, you're fighting an enemy you cannot beat and running a race you cannot win. And maybe the worst part of the whole thing is this. We're the broken ATM machines that are spitting out money compulsively and we can't slow it down. In fact, it speeds up on us. But the worst part of it is that, to a large degree, we don't even get to say where it goes. Uh, it, it's like, it's our money, we're the ATM machine, but there's not very much discretionary spending. Do you ever just ask the question, where did the time go? What happens to the, the, the time that we have? Uh, one person gave this quote, said, For disappearing acts, it's hard to beat. What happens to the eight hours supposedly left after eight of sleep and eight of work? Ain't it the truth? What happens to the time, this discretionary time? There's so many obligations that just sort of suck it up. It just gets eaten up. You've got to sleep and you've got to work and you've got to go shopping now and then. You've got to spend some time cooking. You've got to eat what you cook. You've got to clean up after you cook. You've got to contact friends once in a while. You've got to call on the parents and visit them once in a while if they're still alive. You've got your small group that you want to be with. Uh, you want to have some kind of quality time with your spouse if you're married. And maybe if you get lucky, you'll even get intimate now and then if you're not too tired. You've got to fix, you gotta fix the, 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 the toilet and fix the sink and mow the lawn and paint the fence. You've got homework with the kids. They need some help. Then you've got to drive them to, the, to, to baseball practice and watch their gymnastics meet and go to the track meet and take them to violin lessons or piano lessons or whatever because you don't want your kids to miss out on any sort of opportunities. And once in a while, you want to try to exercise because you're getting a little thicker on the midline and, and you, and you want to have some recreation to go out dance, go to a movie, watch a television show. But that begins to feel like one more obligation that just sucks up your time because it has to get scheduled into everything else. And of course, once in a while, you you want to talk to God and have some devotional time and read your Bible, it just sort of evaporates. All the, 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 it, we're spending out the money, but we, for the most part, we don't say, get to say where it goes. And so we run and we run to catch up with the sun, but then 10 years have got behind us and we don't know where it all went. When we think about time as a substance that has a monetary value, it, 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 it's a major source of fragmentation in our life. The way we think about time, the way we relate to time. It divides us. It keeps us living in the past or living in the, in, the, in the present. It keeps us hurried, worried, and tired. We're fighting an enemy we cannot beat. We're running a race we cannot win. It, it's one of the major reasons why we have trouble living in the present moment, being present. We're with our spouse, but our mind's somewhere else. We're with our kids but, or our friends, but our mind and our heart is somewhere else. We're, we're, we, we, we don't show up for major portions of our life, as we said last week. Uh, we live life as a ghost behind the wheel because we're not living in the present moment and real life in the kingdom and love is always in the present moment. Well, it's because the way we're related to time where it's just, it's just being torn from us. It sucks the kingdom out of us, sucks peace out of us. 
sex unity out of us. The clock is always ticking. The broken ATM machine is always spitting the money out. What if, think about this, what if that whole way of thinking about time is wrong? What if that whole conception of time as a substance that slips through our fingers, but it has a monetary value, what if that way of thinking about time is not only wrong, but actually sinful? Think about this. What if the very idea that time belongs to us, that that it's ours to spend and to invest and to save and to lose or to waste, what if that whole thing is a lie of the devil? What if it's part of the pattern of this world? What if it's designed by the enemy to keep us fragmented, to keep us in a state of anxiety, to keep us from living in the present moment, and therefore to keep us from living in love? Think about it. Did you ever notice in the Bible that God never is in a hurry? Never. Think of one passage where he's rushing to do something. He's the God who's always going at a casual pace about things. Look at the creation narrative. The God's all-powerful, right? He, he, could, he could speak the entire universe in, in a complete state, in a nanosecond. But he doesn't do that. He takes his time. And so as we talk about in the book Undivided, um, uh, in the creation story in Genesis, he, he takes seven days. On the first day, he, he, he just separates the light from the darkness. That's all. Then he stops, and he, and he pauses for a little bit to appreciate it. Oh, that's good. Next day, day two, he separates the, the, the land from the water and the earth from the sky. And then, then he stops, that's all. Uh, not in a real big hurry here. And he, and he appreciates it. Oh, that is good. He does that for seven days, and on the seventh day, he doesn't do anything. He just kicks back and enjoys the whole thing. Uh, this is a God who's not in a hurry. He, he enjoys uh, uh, the process. There's an even uh, meter to the whole story, a pace to it. He's not in a hurry. And if you trust science at all, that process has is, is gone on for 15 billion years. And some people think that it's insulting to God to think that it would take him 15 billion years uh, to arrive at human beings. But, but I, I, I think it just goes to show that this is a God who's not in a hurry. The difference for God between seven days and 15 billion years is a nanosecond anyways. But it's a God who's not in a hurry about things. However you I- interpret that, this is a God who's, who operates at a casual pace. And that's how it is throughout the whole Bible. Adam and Eve rebel. And you might think that God would go, oh no, we got to fix this right now. Send the Savior. But he doesn't do that. He takes his jolly time. Thousands of years till Christ comes. He spends a couple thousand years just with the patriarchs, with with Abraham and and Noah and, 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 and Joseph. And then he incubates the children of Israel in Egypt for four centuries just kind of preparing them there. And then when he gets them out, uh, they spend 40 years in the desert uh, taking a journey that you could do in about four or five days. And he's a God who's not in a hurry. Then he spends about a thousand years with the nation of Israel. Doesn't accomplish much of anything so far as I can see, except he has to always work around some of their problems and their mistakes. But he's slowly laying the foundation for Jesus to come. And then it says, at the right time. At the right time, Jesus came. Now, no one knows exactly what that means, but it surely indicates a God who wasn't in a hurry. He'll know when the time is right, and so Jesus comes into this world. And when he comes into this world, you see the same kind of casual pace that you see with the Creator, which isn't surprising, because Jesus is here to reveal the Creator to us. Jesus, you know, here the salvation of the world hangs on him. He's got one lifetime to lay the foundation for this, this revolution called the kingdom of God that's supposed to transform the entire planet. It all resides on him. And yet, you like my uh, nice flowery cup here? You, I'm clearly a man who's very secure in his masculinity. <laughs> Little side note there. 
Uh, you know, so the, the, the weight of the world rests on his shoulder. You could understand if, if, if Jesus, with all this responsibility, it all depends on him, the savior of the world, you could understand if he kept a pretty tight schedule and was, you know, had a little bit of anxiety, like a, the CEO of a major corporation at least. But he doesn't do that. He's not like that at all. In fact, he doesn't even get started for 30 years. 30 years before he even gets, gets, gets the thing off the ground. We, we read about him in the temple at the age of 12, having that dialogue with the teachers, but otherwise we don't read a thing about him. What was he doing? Well, he probably inherited his father's trade, so he was making chairs and building cabinets, and maybe some tables, hanging out with some friends, uh, with mom and dad, going to the synagogue. Uh, but he's not in a hurry to, to, to jump into the ministry. Takes his time. Nothing noteworthy the first 30 years. And when you realize that up until the 19th century, the average life expectancy was under the age of 50. And Jesus died when he was 33. So that means the first 90% of his life, he didn't do much of anything in terms of accomplishing the kingdom. He was just building chairs and cabinets, whatever. I sometimes wonder, honestly, if Mary ever got concerned about this. I mean, think about it. You know, I I, I can picture her saying to him when he's 29 years old, Son, um, uh, I love you. Uh, The angel said you're to be the savior of the world. Do you think maybe it's time you... Start thinking about that. <laughs> Maybe move on a little bit. You make really good chairs. I, I, I'm, you know, I, I appreciate that, but you, son of God, I was expecting a little bit more. You know, all your friends, they moved out of their mother's house 10 years ago. <laughs> they're married. They're doing something. Shouldn't you be hanging out with rabbis or something? Uh, you know, it's, but this is a, a savior who's not much in a hurry. In fact, as I read the Bible, and this maybe is just me, but it seems to me that Mary actually forces his hand a little bit to get him involved in the ministry. His first miracle was at the wedding of Canaan. You know the story, John chapter 2. And uh, apparently they were friends of the family. Uh, First of all, Jesus goes to the wedding with his mother. He's 30. Isn't that a little bit weird? Uh, But then then the the wedding host runs out of wine, and Mary is clearly very embarrassed for them. And so it says that Mary goes to Jesus and says they've run out of wine. And Jesus says... Woman, why do you involve me? Now, the word woman, it wasn't, you know, a slam on her. Uh, this was just the normal way of referring to an, any, any older lady. So, he says, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Now, look at this. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Read between the lines just a little bit. <laughs> Mom, I'm not ready. <laughs> oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> so, he just turns to the servants. He'll do it. Just, just, just follow his orders. This is, whether I'm right about that or not, this is clearly a Savior who is not in a big hurry. And his whole ministry is like this. He strolls through the Gospels. We never read about him riding on a, a horse or a donkey or anything until he comes in, into Jerusalem for the final time. They walked from town to town. They weren't in a hurry. He spends a lot of time going to parties. And, and not to like socially network with important people who are going to be crucial to, to getting his kingdom movement off the ground. No, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of strategy and planning involved in this whole thing. He just likes to go to parties, and he goes to parties with prostitutes and with tax collectors and other kinds of sinners. He spends a lot of time ministering to the poor folks and, 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 and healing people and, and freeing people. But even there, he's clearly not trying to, uh, you know, he's not in a hurry or feeling pressure to get them to sign on with this program. If someone comes to him... He'll tell them how to get into the kingdom, but otherwise, he's not trying to get anyone to sign on the dotted line. No, he just sees a need and, and meets it. Spends a lot, a lot of time talking to people as they're walking from town to town. 
uh, some, spends time talking to unimportant people. Takes a whole day out in John chapter 4. A whole day out to go up to Samaria and talk to this woman who had five husbands and now was living with a guy who wasn't her husband. But he doesn't go up there to shame her. He goes up there to spread the good news with her. He's got time. This is a, he acts like he's got all the time in the world. There's a casual pace to him. And he always has time, of course, to spend with his father. He takes entire evenings out just to pray and to be with his father. What I want us to see here is this. The casual pace of Jesus' ministry isn't something incidental or accidental. It's not a peripheral sort of thing. It's one of the ways that Jesus is godly. It's one of the ways that Jesus is sinless. To be godly means you reflect the character of God. Jesus reflects the character and the will of God by the fact that he does not rush because his father does not rush. There's a peace and a calmness to Jesus' ministry. That's one of the ways in which he's sinless. We usually think of, 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 of sinlessness in terms of his resisting temptation, the temptation to, to uh, maybe use his power to his own benefit or to uh, treat someone as unimportant or to have sex outside of marriage. He resists temptation, and that's true. But he also resists the temptation to hurry, to try to cram it all in, to worry. And the reason is because he trusts his Father. Jesus clearly doesn't see time as a substance with a monetary value. He clearly doesn't try to cling to time as though it was his to spend and his to invest and his to lose, uh, his to waste. Rather, like everything else in his life, Jesus' time was completely surrendered to the, the, the Father. And the Father has eternity and never rushes. And therefore, Jesus never rushes. Jesus doesn't act like a broken ATM machine that is compulsively spitting out dollars, compulsively spitting out seconds, connected to a bank account that's finite. Because for Jesus, there is no bank and there is no money. There's simply his relationship with the Father. And so for Jesus, time wasn't this enemy that he had to fight or an opponent he had to race against. For Jesus, time was a gift. A gift that the Father gave him moment by moment. And it was his to enjoy in the moment and his to then follow the Father's leading in the moment. The only question was, Father, how do you want me to spend this moment? But he trusted that his Father had an infinite number of such moments to give to him. And so he didn't have to compulsively race through any one of them. This is, I believe, a central aspect of what it is to be godly, what it is to reflect the character of God. It's a central aspect of what it is to be Christ-like, to have the same kind of casual, calm pace to our life that Jesus had. It's not an incidental thing. It's a central thing. We're called to imitate Jesus, right, in every aspect of his life. And this is an aspect of his life that we're to imitate. Uh, this has hit me between the eyes. This is confronting me big time. Um, and I've never quite said it like this. I've never quite thought about it like this. But, 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 but here's, here's what I'm saying. That to live life where you're always in fast forward and you're trying to cram as much in as you can, that is sinful. That's sin. As much sin as anything else could be sin. Because it's not consistent with the character of Christ. It doesn't reflect godliness. It reflects life being lived in the flesh. And the reason this confronts me hugely is because, as I mentioned earlier, I had from a very early age this obsession with death and therefore this obsession with time. And when I became a Christian, 
The way that got translated is this. I got to do everything I can do for God before I die. I only got one shot at this, so I got I to achieve a lot for the kingdom of God. I, I, I got to give it all I got. Now, there's a good side to that. There's a good side to that. You know, the kingdom is not a place for just wasting time and mediocrity and all that. No, it, that passion is good. But there's also, I now see more clearly than I've ever seen, a real downside to that, a real flesh side to that. It's good to live life with passion, and I believe it's good to live life with an awareness of death. I like that song that's out on the radio now, Live Like You Were Dying. I, I think that's the way to do it, to always be aware of the tombstone that is approaching you, and to live life now with all this passion. That is good. But if it is resulting in us being hurried and tired and worried all the time, something is wrong. If, it, if, if we're living life trying to cram as much as we can in, um, and, and uh, uh, with our, our living always in a fast-forward mode, to that degree, we're not godly. To that degree, we're out of God's will. It's good to live life with a sense of purpose and mission, but it's not good to live a purpose-driven life if by driven, you're being pushed in the direction of being perpetually hurried, worried, and tired. It's good to want to accomplish things. And it's bad to, to just squander the time that you have. I'm not denying that at all. It's good to want to achieve a lot for God and to accomplish stuff. But see, if it's, re- if it's making us hurried, worried, and tired, then it's a sign that we are clinging to time as though it was ours. We're buying into the lie that there's a finite bank account that we're spending. And that can only fragment us and it can only give us stress. We're acting like we are Lord of our own time and Lord of our own life. It's an indication if we're hurried, worried, and tired. It's an indication that we haven't surrendered that to God. We're still owning it as our own, which inevitably stresses us out. We're living as though it was our responsibility to make something of ourselves, our responsibility to achieve stuff, our responsibility to build big churches and have big ministries and do a lot of stuff. And see, that is simply the flesh. It's our responsibility to live faithful lives where we're submitted to him and do what he calls us to do, but it's not our job to make anything of ourselves. (laughs) We can't make anything of ourselves uh, on our own power that's reflective of the kingdom. I don't care how big a church you got. I don't care how big your ministry is. I don't care how many books you write or how many awards you win. It's not of God if it's being done out of your own flesh, out of this urgency that you have to spend time in a way that's going to accomplish things that are measurable. No, see... that I, when we cling to time like this and think it's ours to lose, to invest, uh, to spend, uh, it, it can't help but fragment us and decenter us and tear us in different directions. And it is the major reason why we have trouble living in the present moment, where life always is. That's where, the only thing that's really real, where love always is. It's a strategy of the enemy, I'm convinced, to keep us from living in love because love is always now right here. Loving God fully, loving ourselves fully, loving others fully. It's why we spend a good portion of our life being someplace other than where we actually are. It's this monetary view of time, this lie that we've bought into. God is calling us, God is calling me to surrender time, all of it, to offer it back to him. The truth is that we are not broken ATM machines that are compulsively spitting out at ever-increasing speed uh, seconds and dollars connected to a finite bank account. We're not broken ATM machines connected to finite banks. We're children of God who are connected to a Father who has forever and never rushes. And our only job is to hold His hand and to follow His leading. 
The truth is that time is not our enemy. Now, it feels like that sometimes, especially as you get older and you start to ache and you can't do what you used to do. It feels like it's an enemy. But we've got to reframe this. It's not an enemy that we have to fight, and it's not an opponent that we have to race. Time is a gift. It's a gift from our Father to enjoy in the now because it's always in the now. The future is not yet. The past is already gone. Now is all that's real, and it's a gift. This moment right here is a gift from the Father. And now this moment is a gift from the Father, and our only responsibility is to be in that moment and then to follow his direction on what we do in that moment. That's all. That's all. It's a gift from the Father. When we can let go of time and not cling to it, like there's a finite amount. What a lie. We live forever, so relax. you got plenty of time. When we cling to it, though, as though i got to spend this wisely, and I figure it out on my own, well, see, what happens is that it, it just robs us of the, the fullness of life in the kingdom. But when we can surrender that, when we can surrender the clock back to God, because it doesn't belong to us anyways, never did. Our life is not our own. When we can surrender that to him, now what that does, it's a process that we learn. But the word that God gave me is, is that when you, can, when you surrender your time, you receive eternity. And eternity lasts forever, and so with that comes peace. And as we learn to, and it's a process, but as we learn to let go of clinging to our own clock, of our own moments, what that does is it empowers us then to live in the present moment. Because we now, if I know I've got an infinity of moments, an infinity of nows ahead of me, that means I can relax in this one. And now I can relax in this one. And what that does is it opens me up to now begin to hear God's direction on how he wants me to live in this moment and in this one. I'm no longer trying to catch the seconds that are spitting out of the ATM machine. I'm no longer freaking out about the fact that it feels like it's going faster and faster. I know I've got forever. There's no bank and it's not my money. So I can live now. And now I can live now. And God can then give us wisdom about where that time goes. But where, you know, I, I, a lot of times when we're caught up in the frenzy, the reason we don't know where the time goes is because we're being fragmented. We, we can't see clearly uh, all the things that suck time out of us. When we can live in the present moment and have that casual godliness, that, that, that peaceful godliness that Jesus had, it gives us wisdom. And we can you now hear God's direction on how he would have us steward his time. It's his gift. I'll end with this. Here's a, an exercise that I, um, and I got to get this done because we're running out of time. <laughs> Actually, since uh, we have forever, I, uh, that's, that was the first point of my message. I got uh, 14 more I want to go through. No, uh, here, here, here's an exercise that I have uh, that I do, and see if this lands with you, and maybe we'll, we'll do a little bit of it here. But I represent time in my life like a clock. It's just a spiritual exercise I go through. And uh, every activity I do, every responsibility I have, every relationship I have, uh, every aspect of my life has a certain amount of time attached to it. Think about it. It's in the same way that every purchase you make has a monetary value, every, every aspect of your life takes up a quantity of time. Our job is to make sure that that is how God wants us to use His time. And so I represent it as, as a clock. I, I'll picture any activity, whether it's maybe reading or writing or exercise or different relationships, my time on email, uh, my time watching television, 
uh, my time sleeping, all of it. And one by one, I just, and it, it, for me, this always works best in the morning. That's when I always have the most clarity. But you have to kind of you know, find it on your own. Um, but I represent this clock, and I just offer it up to God. And I see his hand then come down and take it. And then the question is, is will he give it back to me or not? This is like offering up Isaac. Because sometimes the time I spend in something is very dear to me. And, but my job is to offer that up. And if he gives it back, well, then that's something he wants me to continue to use time on. Otherwise, it may be something that he's saying, that can be removed from your life. And then you have to ask God's wisdom about how to go about doing that. But just represent time like that. So right now, uh, close your eyes for a second. And represent however this works for you, whether you picture it or have some other way of imagining this. But imagine a clock in your hand. And let that clock represent one activity in your life, whatever it may be. Pick out any activity that you spend time on, any job, any relationship. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom here. And associate that that clock right now is the time. It's a way of quantifying the time in that one activity. And now, if you're a kingdom person, just surrender that to the Lord. Just lift it up a little bit, however you imagine that, and offer that time up to God. And see him take it, because it belongs to him. It's not yours to spend or to waste or to invest. You don't own it. Let it go. Let it go. Just let the clock go. Maybe you want to see it floating up into the sky. And then say, Lord, is it your will for me to have that time? And if it is, then give it back to me. And just you now pay attention to what you sense there. Do you sense the Lord keeping it? Or do you sense the Lord giving it back to you? And sometimes you have to go through this several times before you begin to get clarity on it. The main thing is that we have a stance of openness. Holy Spirit, give us wisdom about every item in our life. In the same way that we submit our finances to you and seek your direction on how we spend your resources, so also, Lord, give us wisdom about time. It all belongs to you. Thank you, God, that you are our God who who has forever. And therefore, Lord, we can be calm in, the, in how we live moment to moment. Teach us that, Lord God. Always be uh, instructing us how to let go of our time, let go of our life, and offer it up to you. And then, Lord, about this particular thing we've just offered up, Father, if it's, if it's an Isaac you want us to have, then give it back. And lead us and guide us on how you want us to steward it. If it's something that's to be removed from our life, Lord, make that clear. And give us wisdom about how to go about taking that out of our life. We submit our life to you. We submit our time to you. We submit our moments to you. We thank you, Lord God, that we have forever. Help us to live like Jesus Christ in the casual pace. Purposeful but casual. In the peace of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, would the prayer team come up uh, forward? And if you would like to spend some moments, look at that metaphor. Uh, and and, and uh, enter into prayer with these folks about any need you have in your life, whatever. Uh, f- feel free to come up here and do that. Remember to be going through the exercises in the book. There's some good stuff there, folks. Uh, stuff that will really get you in touch with the uh, things we're talking about on the weekend. God bless you.